Welcome to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara, the podcast for Central Floridians who want to be in the know on what's happening in Orange, Lake, Osceola, and Seminole counties. Sponsored by the Central Florida Home Brewers, the premier craft and homebrew club. Learn to brew beer, kombucha, mead, or make wine. Visit www.cfhb.org. Now, here's your host, Mike Kara. Well, welcome back to uh, the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Karras. Today we're at Dead Lizard Brewing in beautiful Orlando, Florida for the Central Florida Home Brewers General Membership Meeting. With me is one of those members, John Sather. And John, it's a pleasure and honor you could join me today. And we want to talk about mead. I know we've talked about mead, you know, several times, but, you know, there's always something to talk about when it, when it comes to mead. And we were just discussing that everyone has their personal preferences, whether you feel a lot of heat, and I like it where you, you feel limited heat, but I mean, for you, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about how you got started making meat again. Uh, well, hello, Mike, first off. Um, I got started way back in Rossi's, uh, our club, Central Florida Homebrewers, had invited the um, Redstone Meadery owner for a I don't know, a little chat like we had here with this Zyrarium, I don't know if I'm saying that right, meadery that's going to open in Orlando. Uh, He and I chatted for about an hour on meads because I was kind of new to brewing and home brewing and didn't know anything about, you know, making meads because I was always corrected by Steve Delasala. You know, you brew beer and you make meads, so there's a big difference somehow, and I found that out along the way. A lot of experimentation you know, in the beginning, I would warm my must up to 140 and let it sit for 25 minutes and uh, then cool it down again. Uh, after many years, I found out that that probably wasn't what I needed to do. All I needed to do was be clean and sanitary, and uh, I could just add the honey right to my my fermenter and uh, stir it up that way or mix it up. But uh, I... Got into it in 2004, and what's this, 2021, so I've been doing it a while. I've uh, been bugged by my daughters over and over, please start a brewery, please start a meadery. I want to come work for you. I want. To, I don't want to work for who I'm working for now. And I said, eh, I'm not probably not going to do that because, you know, I'm 60, almost four, and don't want to marry a business right now. I'd rather you know relax you know retire and and enjoy my meads instead of have to work at being at a tasting room you know six days a week for you know 16 hours a day or something like that so i decided i wasn't really going to do that but i i I like to you know make mead i like to get the purest honey i can or the freshest which is usually out on 520 at at dave webb's honey barn there uh he gives home brewers a, a decent price uh mead makers real well both and and uh i always enjoy seeing him when i do he um got me started a, a lot more in it because he would come to our homebrew meetings years ago and offer us, you know, the milk jugs, you know, 12 pounds for a decent price of wildflower or, or orange blossom, whatever he had, you know, uh, he call it ditch uh, holly or gallberry or who knows what he had at the time. But, you know, most of the time I won't let any of my yeast eat any of the, the exotic meads I call like, uh, you know, this year's orange blossom honey uh, harvest is really clear, really light. Um, it's, it's it's tasty and I'm probably going to put it into one of these meads that I just finished up fermenting. I just hit it with sobe yesterday matter of fact transferred it and put some acid blend some tartaric blend in it and uh I'm, and it's really light because i got a bunch of honeys that my wife bought you know walgreens gave us a buy one get one or something so i could get some you know 12 pounds of honey for pretty cheap but it was store-bought pasteurized you know filtered honey not really you know the local uh unfiltered you know pure honeys that i i like to get you know sometimes there's a wing or a bee leg or something in it but who cares that drops out once it ferments but anyway I, i fermented this this um walgreens honey and it's really light uh really 
uh, tasty. I did add some cinnamon to it. I add some. I boiled up, chopped up some raisins and and didn't boil them. Brought them up to about 190 for, with a lid on it. Let it sit for a while and then dumped the tea into that. Um, I've added, you know, I boiled some uh, French oak. I had to put that into a, a muslin bag. Uh, and and a lid on it because there are, I can only get French oak and chips. I can't seem to find it in cubes. So I don't like putting chips into my mead because it's awful hard to filter it out. And nobody wants to drink mead with a chunk of wood coming through or something, you know. So I uh, just put the tea in that one. And it is really pretty good, you know, for uh, what I consider a professional pasteurized type honey. Uh, that one uh, I'm I'm still working on, but it's probably going to get kegged because I've kegged my last oh five batches of five gallons or four and a half depends right. on where I'm at because uh, I don't know I I want to maybe get a little pelligent too I want to get them a little carbonated a little bubbly and to try to back to add. Um, uh, you know, sugar or honey and not use sobate. It's so dangerous. I tell you, one time I had those German bottles, you know, not like this bomber, but I had those 16 nines or whatever, those strong German bottles, they used to say, like uh, when I was up at Weeping Radish with Matt Glass years ago. His owner, Uli, loved those German strong bottles. Well, anyway, I had my meads in those and I tried to... Uh, get them bubbly and sure enough i one of them i had like 12 of them i think and when i opened that bottle it shot up to the top of the 30 feet up i mean it lucky these bottles didn't blow up i don't know how they didn't but anyway i opened them all to get them you know pressure off them and you know and it ended up with about an inch left in the bottom i mean it was gone man so i don't do that anymore i keg and i try to uh cool them down and and uh you know use co2 to get them pelagent i don't really want them sparkling like wine or like a champagne i mean that's going to shoot out the bottle and all that i uh I just want a nice little bubbly one every once in a while. So I've been doing that lately. Otherwise, most of my meads are all still in the bottle. And uh, if they're bubbly, it's because I didn't let them sit long enough or I didn't sobate them and back sweeten them. I just decided to bottle them and thought they were done. Oh, okay. Now, one of the things that, you know, uh, we want to talk about, especially for our viewers, I mean, our listeners that might not as be familiar with mead. Now, you have to be careful with mead because it's about twice the alcohol content of beer. So, you know, we were hearing about, oh, I want to drink a pint of mead, but you've got to be careful because if you're drinking f five meads, essentially, then you're drinking almost like 10 beers, right? At least, yeah, if not more. Uh, no, you drank five pints of mead, you would be, you know, falling on the floor. I mean, you'd be up chucking and everything else. It oh. would not be a good thing. You don't want to really do that if you could help it. <laughs> okay. I mean, even one bottle of mead is probably too much. Right. You know, I mean, you want to uh, you want to pour it out in like two ounce pours, maybe something like this, right. you know, and then sip on it. You know, you yeah. just want a little bit of and then you want to flavor, you know, savor the flavor. You know, you get that little bit of them almost a tart sweetness on the tongue and then inside of the the palate and then it goes down you know your throat and you can then it help you helps you pick out like if it's got spices like this one's got a little clove little nutmeg you know a little um oh cinnamon it's 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 a good a good easy sipping but if to drink it like a shot no yeah. you don't want to do that meads are way too expensive and way too flavorful to to just hammer and you know and if you drink five pints of them you're gonna, <laughs> you're not going to be in good shape for a while oh so so yeah that's that's uh, appreciate that yeah because a lot of people think you know oh i, I could drink this i could drink that at different speeds but yeah you want to get those flavors because there's a lot of flavors that you, you, you put in, and you can taste most of these flavors then if you are looking for them, huh? Yeah, if you kind of have a little educated palate, yeah, you you know, you have to be able to decipher when those flavors come up, and usually you have to be able to smell. If you can't smell, you can't get no flavors anyway, but uh, it's, um, here comes the reinforcements here, yay! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I um, 
I enjoy meads, but I tell you, I like to drink a couple of beers and then finish on a maybe, you know, four to six ounces of a mead. You know, finish the night or the drinking session uh, with a little bit of a sweeter, more flavorful, you know, uh, beverage where I can just, you know, call it a night. And after that, it's usually ice water or something, you know. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you could finish off the night uh, with mead. So, I mean, we're talking about all these different flavors. We were even talking about a possible Mexican chocolate mead. So, I mean, there are so many possibilities. I don't think people realize that there is, you know, so many different flavors you could put in. I mean, have you thought about any of those flavors, like a, a, a Mexican chocolate or... Um, yeah, well, the guy here at the meeting talked about cocoa nibs yeah. and all sorts of stuff like that. And I really haven't experimented that much with those kind of flavors because right. I'm kind of a traditionalist. I, I, you know, a, a moon pie marshmallow stout is not what I'm looking for. You know, right, yeah, I'm looking for a regular beer that's not too bitter, that's got some, you know, uh, punch to it or whatever, some some pizzazz to it, but it's not going to overwhelm me or it's not going to make me feel like it's so sweet I can't finish one pint of it. You know, I I uh, just I'm looking for I'm a tradition. I, I'm looking for pale ales and IPAs that aren't over the top, you know, when it comes to my beer drinking and with my meats. So I'm, I'm looking more for the, you know, the cinnamon and the and the and the other flavors, I guess, that come through with the honey like Tupelo gives a lot of cinnamon and black licorice or red licorice depending you know uh, maybe even green apple like some of the guys were telling me here you know uh, I think that's a little bit from the yeast though sometimes that'll create some of that but I enjoy my meads I'm considered a mead maker I'm a frustrated beer brewer because most of the time my beers just don't turn out like I would like them to now, you had mentioned, John, about cinnamon. I mean, is there really any difference between cinnamons? I mean, you know, you could go to GFS and buy giant amounts of cinnamon. or you know, I mean, does it really matter with cinnamon or these spices to, to get the good stuff? Or? Um, yes, I get the sticks, the cinnamon sticks. I don't get the, uh, the ground cinnamon, right. uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll use a... a, a what do you call those things? Uh, yeah. I'll chop them up yeah, off yeah. the zester thing. Yeah, the zester. And, uh, and, and try to put those in a bag, like a Muslim bag, and put those into my mead. Because I really, again, sometimes it doesn't, those spices don't really uh, disappear into the liquid. They, they stick around. And you don't want to be drinking a, a mead that's got a little chunk of a cinnamon spice going down, too. You know, So I try to keep my meads really clean. And, you know, to speak of that, sometimes, uh, you know, after I've done all my uh, preparations, I'll, I'll use some super clear, which is a, a, a clearing agent that hopefully clears the mead. Because some, when I first started doing it years ago, I would get about a half inch of muck at the bottom of these bottles, you know, the polyphenols and the proteins and, and all these things dropping out. And I, you know, I swore I cold crashed them. I swore I got them all filtered, but uh, they still ended up, you know, there. So now I'm kind of using this super clear, which helps me a lot to not have a bunch of what I consider muck at the bottom of the bottles. And sometimes since my bottles are all still, I'll open them, pour out most of it, but there'll be that little bit of muck at, at the bottom. And I'll I'll dump that into a glass and you know cover it with cellophane or something, and leave it in the refrigerator and it'll clear out so I can get another, you know, little dregs what I call it of of, um, mead to where uh, if I say I didn't fill the bottle back up because I had to dump some of the little bit of muck out of the bottom, I can use that dregs and pour it back up and then recap it and there's no no difference you know it's not like it's a beer where it'll go. you know, flat or, or, or nasty. These don't, you know, only the finest mead judges that I've found on my sheets talk about sherry-like. I mean, if I do that, it, yeah, that will create a little sherry uh, oxidized flavors in my meads. But almost everybody can't pick that up. I mean, that's got to be a pretty trained mead ma- uh, palate to pick that up. 
So for you, John, do you judge? I mean, you're a judge, right? Do you yes. judge means or? I do, but most of the time I enter, so I can't. Oh yeah, you know, right. The competition I about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they won't let me do it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I look for what's in a mead. You know, I look for the meniscus, which you look at the top of it. It's like a little frisbee. Yeah. And uh, then you you know you spin it. And you look for legs crawling down. The more legs you see there, yeah. look at them all. Yeah. You know, that yeah, you that's the amount of alcohol that's in it. Right. So if you look at that, you know, there's a lot of legs coming off of this, this mead right here, a bunch. And, you know, but when you drink it, you don't hardly taste any alcohol or warming or burning or whatever you want to call it, yeah. right? But there's plenty of alcohol in these. So you look for the legs. You look for the meniscus. You look to see how clear it is. You know, uh, if it's hazy or cloudy, that's one of the reasons why I try to clear the muck out of my bottles. Because if you use a keg, each time you hit it from the bottom, it's taking a little of that out of there. So the the uh, keg meads clear. But the bottled ones, you kind of have to... You have to baby them a little bit. You know, you have to treat them uh, if they have it at the bottom. Now, after using Super Clear, most of the time, I don't really have to do that anymore, but I used to have to, you know, do that. So that's, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't see any bubbles in this one if I spin it, but it's, again, it, it, it's a nice, what, I don't know, off straw, almost goldy straw color. It's, you know, maybe got a little oak pollen or something in it to darken it up or something but you know i don't know it's it's still a pretty good mead really oh okay uh john well we uh, appreciate you know your time and more insight onto meads any final thoughts or anything else you'd like to mention here yeah i um you know we're down here at dead lizard and this is a nice little um, home for us now, you know, that uh, it seems like our president has told us this is our new home. Hopefully it'll last a while because we've been a nomad club since 2017 when Rossi's closed. But um, I, uh, I, I think that this is going to be a pretty good little home for us. We got, you know, Sunshine Challenge coming up here quickly and, and uh, I'm going to judge for that. And I'm just hoping that we can all kind of get together and and you know all the clubs in this area use each other for judging and for their competitions and stuff because i think that this area needs more bjcp judges you know we uh we shot ourselves in the foot a few years back and a lot of judges won't come to orlando and i think that time has changed that now and that they should reconsider and start coming back to Orlando for some of these competitions like uh, Hot and Humid and Sunshine Challenge and and um, oh, I'm not sure all of them right now. You know, there's Saws over in Melbourne and you know, there's a bunch of them that are still coming up and it would be nice to get some more of these judges over here that are qualified because <laughs> I had a beer that I uh, you know, it was a decent amber ale, and I thought, eh, I'll put some uh, extract, some raspberry extract in it, and I did. And I thought it was really pretty good, you know. I mean, I uh, entered it in one of the club competitions, and what I got was three judges telling me that it smelled just like tomatoes and that it should have been a vegetable beer. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I looked at that and I thought, mm, boy, I don't know about that, you know. But none of them were BJCP, so I'm thinking that we really need to train some more people here, especially younger people, you know, to get their palates trained on commercial examples, and then, uh, you know, be able to compare that to the styles of what BJCP calls for. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, with with you know with these judges, you know I have stewarded, and you know they've got they've got a book, and you could I understand that you could use this book then during the competition. So I mean, you could actually look if you're wondering, does it taste like this? Does it taste like that? They could, they don't have to remember all this then, right? I mean, they could look at the book or yes. Uh, well, yeah, first round judges especially have books. When they go to second round and best of show, it's not really there. Those, okay, those, yeah, but, first round. But yeah, right. but first round is really you got to get through first round if you're yeah. going to do anything. Yeah. You know? So you're hoping that first round judges uh, 
are are reading those books and not just chatting to each other. You know, like, you know, you'd hope that they would judge the beer and then chat afterwards about their scores to debate why one guy has a 40 and the other guy has a 30. You know, they're, they, 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 meaning the BJCP, want you to be within three points of each other. So then you have to debate these things on, well, I had this and I picked up green apple there or I had a, you know, a GMS, you know, cooked vegetable flavor there or aroma here. So you have to bring those up. And we really need people who can decipher that stuff, you know, like diacetyl, a buttery, you know, butterscotch or, or you know, theater popcorn butter. You know, those kind of things are, are needing to be uh, recognized, especially in the first round. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get some decent judges here in the next couple months and we can re- really... Uh, deliver to the home brewers who are entering these comp- competitions or contests, really, to uh, get feedback. Because you know, to you, to get a medal or win a medal is pretty tough, especially yeah. these days. You know, with like we talked about the Bruzilla and the electric systems and and all the information out there and and all the you know the gadgets to make these beers turn out better and better and better. And uh, that really means we need smarter and more educated judges to be able to pick those out because you know years ago it used to be pretty easy to pick a bad beer or a beer that was off these these days you got to get a little bit more um particular on on what your you know what that style is is calling for and if it's too much or not enough or who knows what you know but uh again and same with meads you know, uh, a dry mead, a semi-sweet, and a sweet mead are all called traditional meads, but there's quite a bit of difference between the three of them. And, again, that could be a, a personal preference on a, on a judge uh, who isn't really certified, but they like a sweet mead. And this one, ah, it's too dry, I don't like it, you know. But it isn't that it's bad. It's just that they don't prefer it, but they're not really using the guidelines to to uh, you know come up with the correct scores on it. Okay, uh, John, again, my guest is John uh, Sather uh, from the Central Florida Homebrewers, and you've been listening to uh, the, the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Carey here at Dead Lizard Brewing in beautiful Orlando, Florida. My guest, John Sather, and uh, please uh, get this for our next segment. Well, welcome back to our next segment of this edition of uh, the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Kara, broadcast from uh, Dead Lizard in Brewing in beautiful uh, Orlando, Florida. And now with me is Joe Lee from Zamarium uh, Meadery, and uh, Joe is here to tell us all about uh, his meadery and mead. Right now, he's still looking for a location. He's kind of sort of at the final stages of getting everything ready. So first of all, Joe, why don't you start with, uh, you know, about your passion and love for mead and how you got to the point of just, hey, I want a glass of mead to actually open a meadery. Yeah, so uh, we are working on opening Orlando's first meadery because Florida has so much amazing honey that we want to share it with everyone. With uh, every honey tasting different, there's going to be infinite flavor combinations to offer people. And I really fell in love with the science of fermentation and the art of making mead because it's half science and half art. Uh, The science part, when you're fermenting, you want to preserve all those delicate honey aromatics through fermentation and then you have to decide if you want it to be six percent alcohol or 14 percent alcohol and the sweetness sweetness levels and it's uh, all comes down to chemistry with balancing the acids and tannins and sweetness to make it actually balanced instead of being bone dry or cloyingly sweet so you get all that balance down and then the art side is you have unlimited flavors to play with you have all the different honeys you can ferment the fruit so you can do melomels or you can do wine grapes and piments and i've been experimenting with uh, not only wine style meads which are 14 percent imperial sweets uh really good dessert style meads but also uh carbonated session meads which are just like craft beer but they're made from honey um so i can dry hop them fruit them make them nice crisp and refreshing so you can drink a whole pint of it uh which is perfect for the florida weather 
Oh, and yeah, we mentioned, uh, or we want to mention, Joe, that we had a chance, you know, during this meeting to try some. And one of the things that I found out, found that your your meads are, you know, very nice and light and, you know, airy. You know, they're very well balanced. You could taste a lot of flavors. So, I mean, that that's the key. You know, you don't want a mead that's just like all honey. You know, you have to balance everything. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm... Uh, actually, all our meads end up using oak. Even if you can't taste the oak, the oak will add tannins, which will uh, extend the finish and dry it out just a little bit. So it'll be sweet up front, and then it'll dry out on the back end. So you want to keep keep taking sips instead of getting like over honeyed and sweetened out, and don't want it anymore. So yeah, it's really fun to balance everything. And, you know, one thing, uh, you know, Joe, you were talking about this, and I think this is really good, and that is the Mexican chocolate mead that you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to be creating. And, I mean, you've really, you've really got something here with all these different, different flavors, you know. Uh, so, I mean, is, is that what you're trying to do is create a, a variety of, of, of flavors to show how mead really can be so, so great? <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is more range, in my opinion, than any other craft beverage because like I was saying I can do light crisp Pilsner style mead that's super refreshing or I can do 22% port style fortified mead with vanilla beans and cocoa nibs and cinnamon and chili peppers and just everything in between uh, from dry to sweet to yeah session to fortified just everything and mead I think mead can really do all those things better than anything else Um, because honey is acidic. Even though it's sweet, it's acidic. So uh, with that low pH, you're able to balance sweetness a lot better. Uh, You can do everything stouts can do, but stouts can get very... Uh, pastry-like and almost like drinking a cake or brownie. Like, it's it's a lot. It's really nice for two ounces, but with that high pH, you can't balance all that sweetness, but meads can. Okay. And one thing, you know, we were talking about with John, when I talk with people about with, uh, you know, me, that it is, it could be even more than twice the uh, alcohol content of uh, a beer. And, uh, you know, John there had suggested maybe you do not want to drink five <laughs> glasses of, of mead. So, I mean, it's it's more of a sipping thing. I mean, because you put so much time and effort you're going to with all these flavors, people, you know, if you you know if you drink a Bud Light if you want to <laughs> chug you want to enjoy all these flavors. Absolutely, yep, they're perfect to sip on. Um, I prefer to serve them cold, and as they warm up in your hand, uh, more flavors will come out, and it'll open right. up. Oh, so so I mean, when you're coming up with these means, I know that uh, you know you have a lot of great ideas. Is there a certain formula? I mean, when, when you come up, it's like, okay, I'm making a mead. So, I mean, do you figure out how much honey you're going to put in first or what flavors you're going to – how do you start with it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots of practice to figure it out ahead of time. Before, it was kind of just trying things out. But now I know if I want to start really high gravity and I, I've gotten used to the yeast so I know where it'll finish. Um, and I know that finishing point will already be balanced because I've kind of approached that uh, building up in the past because you can also ferment dry and then back sweeten um, which is great for things that are like heavily fruited because if you don't add any honey back it's it could be really um, tart like too tart (laughs) Um, so over the years I've kind of learned the numbers and now I can kind of I can now ferment down to that number instead of back sweetening so I can hit it Um, but yeah half the time I will know what I want to make ahead of time and uh, build the mead that way. And other times, especially with traditionals, I'll let the honey speak to me. And different yeasts will produce different flavors and esters, uh, just like beer. So if this mead ended up being really tropical, you know, I'm not going to do a, a chocolate treatment to it. I'm going to do a passion fruit and citra hops and kind of tease out those flavors that are already there. 
Oh, great. So the, the meat kind of speaks to you in a certain way that, you know, when you're, you're making it. Now, you mentioned that, uh, you know, during your nice presentation during our meeting that you uh, use this Amazon rainforest, uh, you know, honey. And, I'm, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that really like, like that sort of thing. So, I mean, you mentioned that when you use a honey like that, you're, you're getting all sorts of f- flavors. Yeah. That, huh? Yeah. Um, this honey that we got from... Yeah, the Brazilian uh, rainforest right. uh, was one of the most complex honeys we've ever tasted. It's earthy, it's floral, it's fruity. I mean, you could taste the entire rainforest in it. It's absolutely wild. Um, so, yeah, it's wildflower honey from Brazil. Um, and it's, yeah, we fell in love with it. So we've been exposing people to mead using that because people are used to the honey from the supermarket, which just has a, it's kind of like simple syrup. They don't know how floral and fruity and earthy honey can be. And this really shows off the range of that. So, um, Joe, I understand that honey, you know, has seasons, you know, different honeys are made at, at different times. I mean, is that going to be an issue for you? Is that going to determine when you have certain types of mead, you know, seasonal mead? Or? Um, it can and will. Um, we will always have some Florida traditionals on to showcase the honey. Right. And we'll have what's in season on. Um, and, yeah, it is amazing. Even things like... Uh, you might think of orange blossom honey as a singular thing, right. but orange blossom honey tastes different whether it's from California or Florida, whether it's from North Florida or South Florida, uh, which season it comes from. It can wildly vary uh, from slightly citrusy to that beautiful jasmine aroma you get um, when all the orange blossoms are ripe, wafting through the air. And like this year, there was very little, because of the weather, there's very little oak pollen in the air. So the orange blossom this season is the purest, most delicate, beautiful orange blossom that they've had in years. Wow. And one thing you also mentioned, Joe, when you open up this meadery, you're going to be planting some d- different plants that you're going to actually use in your mead? Yep. After we get the meadery up and going, um, after a year or two, we definitely want to buy some land somewhere in Florida and plant stuff to use at the meadery. Because a lot of things that we love to work with, like uh, uh, tropical fruits, specific varietals aren't produced commercially. Um, so if we want them, we're going to have to grow them ourselves and things like elderflower, unless we want to go down the highway snipping off uh, flowers for hours and hours. <laughs> I'd rather just plant a field of elderflower to get all, get all those blossoms fresh because fresh elderflower is so much different than dried. Okay, uh, Joe. So we want. I'm sure our audience wants to know. You know your update because we mentioned you're not open yet. Yeah. You mentioned that ideally you'd like to do, like to be open. You, you need to find a place too by the end of the year. But more realistically, maybe the beginning of yep. 2022. Definitely by the first quarter, because um, once we find a location, then we have to deal with all the different government agencies, federal, state, local, yeah. and uh, construction and architects and permitting and everything. So we're going to move as fast as we can, but it'll be out of our hands very soon. Oh, great. And uh, before we go here, I understand that there is something on your website or Facebook that if people want to support you or if people want to help you, uh, you know, make, you know, this dream a reality. Well, it is going to be a reality (laughs) right now. But I mean, they can help you somehow. Yeah, you guys could be part of it. Uh, We have an Indiegogo uh, happening right now, which is the same thing as Kickstarter. Um, So with your donation, you can get some really awesome limited merchandise. You can get your name on the wall in the meadery. You can name a fermenter. You can make a session mead with me. We have all different perks. And there's uh, only three days left to donate. Uh, But we definitely can use the support. Okay, and as far as your you have you have a website and face, so you yep. have all the social media. So when when, it's, when you're you're open, then everyone's going to know about it. Yep, huh? yep. Uh, Zymarium and that's Z Y M A R I U M, and then we're on Facebook, Instagram, Untapped, and Indiegogo. <laughs> okay, and finally, Joe. If somebody has never tasted meat and, you know, maybe, you know, some of our, you know, younger uh, listeners who are over 21 and they they say, you know, Joe, what what is meat all about? I mean, why should somebody try meat? Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, 
So honey is absolutely spectacular. Every single honey tastes different because depending on what flowers it comes from or nectar or the location in the world or the season, it just varies. Honey flavors vary so much. So if you can't try mead or fine mead, go out to a farmer's market and try all different honeys. Uh, You'll be amazed at the different flavors you find. And once you ferment away some of that sugar to make mead, you're only left those aromatics. So when you eat honey straight, it's kind of like, this is just sweet until you kind of learn to taste honey. But once we get rid of that sweetness by fermenting it into alcohol, then you're only left with those beautiful aromatics, like the the jasmine uh, flavors, aromatics from orange blossom, the uh, caramel molasses flavors from gallberry. Um, black mangrove grows near salt water, so you can almost get like a slightly like salty caramel flavor, and it's just wild. Oh, there's a meadow foam honey in Oregon that tastes like marshmallow and vanilla. Oh. It's my favorite honey. It's it's like dessert honey. It's incredible, and the flavors are just from the flowers. So using that as our sugar source, it just opens up a whole world of flavors. Okay, uh, Joe, we appreciate your your time, and we encourage everyone to you know check out all your social media, and uh, you will be opening somewhere in or Orlando. I mean, any anywhere in particular? Uh, we're looking at Mills Fifty, the Milk District, Soto. Um, so all around downtown, outside areas, near the foodie stuff. <laughs> oh, great. And do you have any plans of going to any of these uh, beer festivals? Or do you plan on get, spreading the word at some of these Absolutely. Things? Yep. Um, we love going to the beer festivals because I come from a... I don't. I didn't make beer, but I was big into craft beer. So right. I was always traveling to craft beer events uh, all around Florida and the country. Um, so we've built up a lot of friends from breweries. So we will definitely be uh, pouring meat at all these beer events. Okay, thanks so much. And my guest is Joe Lee from Zimbarium. And, and did we mention that Zimbarium? Air? What, what's what's the, what's <laughs> so uh, Zimbarium? Uh, the name comes from Zymergy, which right. is the science of fermentation. Um, since we're fermenting not only honey, we're fermenting a lot of fruit. I really wanted to. Fermentation is what I fell in love with, the science of that. So I really wanted to focus on that being the name. So uh, arium, like planetarium, aquarium, and this is zymarium. Oh, yeah. Okay, my uh, guest uh, is uh, Joe Lee from uh, Zymarium, and uh, you've been listening to the Central Florida Buzz with uh, Mike Kara here at uh, Dead Lizard uh, Brewing. And uh, please stay with us for our very last segment of this edition of our program today. Well, welcome back to our final segment of this edition of uh, the Central Florida Buzz with uh, Mike uh, Cara here at Dead Lizard Brewing in Orlando. And with me today, once again, is Matt Hudsworth, who is a member uh, of uh, the Central Florida Home Brewers, as well as its vice president of Logger, loggers, loggers yeah, yeah, yeah. and also on the education uh, committee and uh, Matt, uh, we're, we're so glad that you know you're here once again to tell us you know all about you know beer and uh, brewing and uh, so I mean for you you know you you've been brewing you know for for you know several years now we've tasted some of your great beers I mean is there somewhere or or, or some kind of beer or some other direction you you know you might want to want to take i mean is there you're already doing all grains so i mean is there any further think further yeah actually uh very good question it's the one thing i've not delved into that i would like to is beers that benefit from age like a a really strong doppelbach or an eisenbach eisenbach's in a totally different actually uh beast but beers that that and barley wines and uh, wheat wines. I, I, I've never done a beer where it's like I make it and can't taste it for years <laughs> right. because it's very tough to not want to crack open the beer you made and see how it came out. But I would like to because there's a lot of great beers I've had that other people have made, a lot of great beers commercially that benefit from aging. And that is one aspect I've not developed the patience for yet but maybe someday um i don't know but that that is that is the that is 
Well, one of several things I've not delved into, but would like to, because I've had great examples of beers that have benefited from just not being touched for years. Oh, so for you, Matt, you know, we're talking about a lot of different things you add, you know, as far as di- different nuts and fruits. And I mean, is is there things that, you know, when you taste a beer, you go like, that that's great. But next time I'm going <laughs> to add this or next time I might add a spice or a nut or something or. Yeah, I, I um, I've actually done that. I've had a uh, kind of like a a. a a base beer of, of uh, like say, uh, well, I'll give one example. It's, it's best way to tell this story. I've had an amber beer that was like very drinkable. No one's going to complain that they had this beer, but it's not going to win any competitions. But I was like, this is a really good base beer for there to be something else. And I didn't want to reinvent that particular recipe to make it a good amber ale. I was like, I want to go on a, off in a different direction. So I threw a bunch of pepper into it. Like, I really went to, like, no holds barred on the peppers. And it ended up being, like, a, a, a friend favorite in the people that I shared it to. So, yeah, I mean, I made an amber ale that was pretty blasé. I threw some peppers in it. And all of a sudden, it became people's favorite beers in the year 2000, whatever it was. I think I... No, I did it in 2020, last year, during the pandemic. I was just dropping off beers at friends' porch steps, and that was the one that everyone wanted again. So, Matt, you know, we, we were talking about, you know, you mentioned the pandemic, and, you know, a lot of people had a chance to make a lot of beers during the pandemic, and some people, unfortunately, didn't have as much time. But, I mean, for for you, I mean... And this is, you know, general question. I mean, do you get ideas at any time? You know, I talk to musicians and I say, oh, you know, you come up with lyrics, you come up with, you know, m- m- music. But I mean, for you as a, as a home brewer, do you say now, I mean, you might be in a business meeting or something and you're like, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. You're thinking to yourself, I- I've got to make uh, this or I got to add this. It's funny where inspiration can come from. You're absolutely right. It's like it can come from anything. It can come from you're eating dinner and you have a certain taste you're like oh that would be good in a beer or you can be watching tv and there's something on the screen that makes you think that would be good in a beer and you're absolutely right a word might trigger you in a meeting at work which has happened to me that makes me go oh i need to write this recipe down yeah it's like it's it's when you get into brewing and you start learning every facet of it aroma flavor mouthfeel uh everything that goes around with that and you know how your ingredients start and you know how the beer ends up and you know what you can do in between, you're really attuned whether or not you realize it to being open to suggestion from almost any inspiration. Like like I said, you could actually be eating, you could watch someone else talk about eating, you can watch you can even be in a business meeting and someone mentions the word pineapple and you're like, Oh, I just had an idea. Yeah, it's it's really amazing how your senses become in tune with what you can do to make the next great beer when you're a brewer. And, you know, again, with the music reference, you know, a lot of songwriters like to collaborate. I mean, as a a brewer, do you ever collaborate with with people, get together and say, oh, maybe we could make this or maybe make that? My wife and I collaborate a lot. I would love to make a collaboration program in this club and have more members work together for it. But my wife and I collaborate a lot. I mean, she, her and I have... Um, two really fantastic beers we've come up with is uh, we I have a solid blonde ale that's won a couple medals that she really enjoys. I introduced her to uh, smoke beers, particularly a rock beer, and she liked that. And she she actually made a suggestion of what if the two worlds met, and we came up with a smoked blonde that she actually suggested most of the recipe to with a little guide. Only questions she asked me. I didn't give her guidance, and that was fantastic. And then. This past Valentine's Day, when those red hot um, cinnamon hearts come out, she's like, this would taste fantastic in your blonde ale as well. And I followed her lead, and we figured out how to melt those down and add them as a flavor, and that was a collaboration. Again, my my base beer, my classic style, her new vision in brewing that I hadn't had, and that is might be even better than a smoked beer. So collaboration can open... An amazing amount of doors in craft beer and i've learned that with just collaborating with one person i would love this club to collaborate on a monthly basis 
Okay, Matt. And f- so for you, you know, you were mentioning about different flavors, but I mean, is there a certain flavor that someone might go like, what, what are you doing that you, <laughs> you think is common? Because everyone has different tastes, uh, you know, d- different things like that. But I mean, is there something where you say, this is perfect. And then some of the feedback is like, what? Yep. Yep. I had that. I've had that many times with, uh, oh man. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the perfect example. I don't really have one. Um, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the pepper beer, the amber right. pepper beer. Even though it was the most, this is actually ironic. It was the most requested beer from my friends. It's also the most beer I've gotten the negative feedback from. Mm. It's like even though like ten people loved it, f- four people really hated it. So yes, there's there's always uh, two sides to the whole spectrum. So, I mean, for you, Matt, again, you know, everyone has different tastes. So, you know, if you make, a, you know, a bad beer and every, there's always that one guy will, that'll like it. You yeah, know, right. you found that out that there's no such thing, it seems like, a bad beer. There's always going to be that one guy that says, oh, that's pretty good, huh? There is. There is. There's always someone that will take your beer no matter what. It's like there's well, – that's the thing. It's like you're, the taste very uh, – taste range – on everyone's palate ranges so much that even though we're tasting something bad, to them it's good and they can't get enough of it. So there's yeah, yeah, there's always someone that's going to drink something unless it's like poisoning you. <laughs> someone is going to drink something that you make. Oh. So, so Matt, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, you know, holiday beers. But my question is, as a home brewer, is it ex- your family expects, you know, for a free, you know, a holiday home brewer? Yes, but only on Halloween. Halloween's the oh, biggest Halloween. holiday yeah, with uh, my family and friends. And we always have a Halloween beer party. So it's gotten to the point that we've done it so many years that people expect it and with sunshine challenge being so late in the year i'm struggling to schedule the beers for halloween but um i'll make it work so yes yes to answer your question yes i have many friends and family that expect me to be serving up some beers come halloween and you mentioned now the sunshine challenge i mean how many beers are you planning on entering well i can only enter three that's oh, you our can cap. only yeah. that's, a, that's cap. a cap but i will tell you i have like 11 to choose from it all oh, depends. No. it all depends. I'm, I'm since since the drop-off is we're sitting at the drop-off point right all here right. and me and dave snow are the primary contacts with the drop-off point i will be tasting my beers the night maybe no hell it's since i'm right down the road i might be tasting it the day of the drop-off and decide that day which is my best choice. Because as you know, we just had a succession before you started recording. Beers change over time, so yeah. I'm going to wait till the very last minute to decide which one of those ones I have on hand I'm going to enter. Oh, so so only uh, three three beers. A- again, you know, there, there's a certain process of when you have 11, yeah, you've got to got to pick those uh, three. And, yeah, you've got to wait. Uh, yep. You know, that that's the one thing I want to stress is when you taste a beer like I do, when I model the beer, my dad and myself, we make this beer. And I and if somebody does this, I take the beer, I try the beer. And it, you know, it's not quite up to snuff. Wait, wait, you know, know, that's not what you're supposed to do because it's amazing how you just give it time and it could come to life then. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, like every, um, I've now gotten to the point, I will say this, it's and and, and experience, this is all coming from experience. I have no special talent anyone else has. I've now gotten to the point where I can taste a beer on bottling day and kind of get an idea what it's going to be like. A month from now when the competition rolls around, which right. is a nice benefit, too, because it is always different. It's like the, the beer, the chemistry of beer is amazing. It, it is constantly changing. I don't know if there's even really a plateau it hits. It probably, I think, levels out, but it never stops changing. And that's that's an, one of the amazing things about this hobby is that the beer you tasted now is not the beer you're going to taste a month from now. And usually in a, for a better reason. Oh, and we also want to reiterate, Matt, that, you know, you're on the education committee here and, you know, you encourage everyone to learn. And one thing we always stress here, we encourage new members because it's never too late to learn how to uh, brew. It don't matter if you're, you know, 90 years old. Yeah. There's always opportunities. Yep, huh? Exactly. Yeah, I feel like I started late because 
I never understood the chemistry of it, and I wish I started sooner, but it's I always keep telling myself, better late than never. I was like, I'd hate to be well past the point I'm at now and realize I could have done this. So, yeah, it's it's like it's there is no – it's better late than never for everybody if, if you're at that late point. If you're at that early point, even better. Yeah, it's there's no age – well, okay, maybe there's a 21-year-old at age limit. Yeah, that, you can't that, drink that, it. That, but after yeah. that, after that, there is no age limit to learn. Oh, okay. So that is an interesting question, uh, Matt. So, I mean, if if you, I don't know, I know you do you know, a lot of the work yourself, you and your wife, but I mean, you think though, technically, now, you know, you better, better check if, if, you know, if somebody like, like a kid is helping you make the beer until it's actually fermented, you wonder if they, they could do that. It is actually, oh, man, I don't, I'm not a lawyer. So yeah, yeah. So don't, we, no, so, no. so don't quote me. No, but, no. Yeah, I, I yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen a lot of brewers have their children like stir in the mash and whatnot. Oh, they so I do. Think, I think I think until you well, again, I'm not a lawyer, right? right. But I think until you pitch the yeast, you're yeah. you're not doing anything illegal yet. Okay. Because we know, as we know, <laughs> yeast makes alcohol. Brewers make wort. Yeast makes beer. So yeah. So I. But I don't know. I don't know. It, Oh. I just wanted to put that out there yeah, for, yeah. for all the Instagram yeah. pictures of kids stirring mash. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right there. Okay, uh, Matt. Uh, so uh, before we go, do you have any upcoming uh, beers? You're, well, you mentioned you have 11 beers. So are you then going to be making even more, uh, brewing even more beer? Or? Yeah. I, yeah. It's like, I mean, I, there's there's beers that I know age um, that are, are – I, I, I know I started the conversation with saying I haven't aged beers, but I have aged beers within months, not years. Right. So I, I've made some beers that I know are going to peak from Sunshine Challenge when we get to that point. So those are ready to go. And I also know some beers that they age okay, they taste fine, but they're better when they're fresh, particularly hoppy beers. So I'm, I've already done the uh, beers that benefit from age. I'm right now kind of making beers. I'm kind of in between right now. I'm right now making beers that could go either way. They might be better aged, they might be better fresh. And then in another month I'll be making beers that are best fresh. So I've I have I've very a ridiculously complicated spreadsheet of how I brew for the Sunshine Challenge. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Matt. Any final thoughts or anything you'd like to mention here? No, um, well, I say no, and I'm going to say something. So I guess yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's it's. I've say this. I think every episode I'm on with you, it's the best hobby in the world. And if you're just on the fence of whether you should try it or not, you should do it because when you have, no matter what your first outcome is going to be, the next one's going to be better. Next one's going to be after that is better, and so on and so forth. It's it's the most therapeutic, relaxing rewarding hobby I've ever done in my life, and everyone should do it that likes beer. Okay. Thanks, Matt. My guest is Matt Hudsworth, who is the uh, vice president of uh, Loggers, as well as on the educational committee with the Central Florida Home Brewers. Uh, You've been listening to uh, the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Carey here at Dead Lizard uh, Brewing. And please catch us again next time. You've been listening to the Central Florida Buzz with Mike Cara, the podcast for Central Floridians who want to be in the know what's happening in Orange Lake, Osceola, and Seminole Counties. Sponsored by the Central Florida Home Brewers, the premier craft and homebrew club. Learn to brew beer, kombucha, mead, and make wine by visiting www.cfhb.org. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>